I'm Jack Samlickham, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Drought-Proofing Soils with Strip-Till, is being brought to you by Novatel. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it added here as well. And subscribing will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released and the opportunity to go back and check out earlier episodes in this series. Thanks again to Novatel for their support of today's program. Novatel's GNSS receivers and antennas are found in the data collection, control, guidance, and steering systems of the world's top precision egg companies and vehicle manufacturers' products. As the global leader in OEM precision positioning technology, their customers rely on reliable, quality solutions that optimize growers' productivity and efficiency that also save time and lower input costs. Visit www.novatel.com or call them today at 1-800-668-2835. Well, increased earthworm populations, fertilizer and equipment savings are positives that Minnesota farmer Tom Muller sees from nearly 20 years of continuous strip-till on his farm. Muller, who farms a 2,600-acre family farm in Wyndham, Minnesota, no-tilling soybeans and strip-tilling corn, usually at a 50-50 split on acreage. Running the two practices in tandem for many years provides an opportunity to see how they impact soil health and structure in the long term. Muller says he's at the point where they're almost drought-proofing their soils. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, we share excerpts from my conversation with Muller on his farm, discussing his early equipment innovations, primary paybacks with his strip-till system, and the value of letting worms do the work to improve soil health. From what I understand, you know, kind of talking with Jody, um, she said, you know, you've been strip-tilling for 20-plus years. Yeah, yeah, let's see, I think we built the first strip till machine in 1994 wow and there really wasn't much out there at the time we found the, the row units and then but we had to build the toolbar and we uh, had to find a fertilizer hopper to blow it in mm -hmm. and uh, that guy's still in business it's interesting <laughs> and he, I guess he's done pretty well huh. his company is now called Montag yeah, yeah he's done okay <laughs> I'm sure we were one of his first buyers. Wow. So uh, so since then, I mean, obviously you, you've probably seen a lot of evolution, but as far as the system you've developed and, and kind of the overall practice, but talk a little bit about how you've taken that initial start in 94 and, and kind of, you know. The best thing that's happened to us is that our local co-op now owns the strip tiller and does the work for us. Ah. So, uh, I don't know that there are many co-ops out there that do that, so we're kind of privileged. Sure. Uh, Country Pride Co-op has a strip tiller. So. But they have gone to a 24 row, so it's huge. Hmm. Um, and they pull it with about 500 horsepower. Wow. Uh, track tractor. Um, they charge quite a bit per acre to do it, but 
we think it's worth it because mm-hmm. we're when we're done combining, we're done. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we go to the next field and combine another few acres of sure crop. Sure, and that's where the income is. So gotcha. It kind of looks like now that we've been in it a while, we're almost drought proofing our soils. You mm-hmm. know, it's not exactly proof, but mm-hmm. we can observe when we're driving down the road in the summer, the heat of the summer, our corn will last three days longer than the guy doing conventional tillage his corn has wilted three days before ours does mm-hmm. we haven't done the uh, real scientific side-by-side comparisons anymore sure let the university do that the only thing that when i did do some tillage comparisons with uh it was a grant mm-hmm. we'd pull into our longer term no-till fields and right away you're giving the advantage to the tillage, mm-hmm. which I performed for the test, because you kind of it, it uh, mineralizes mm. the nutrients in the soil. So, but we, I guess we did that about three years of testing with grants and field days, and um, finally won. <laughs> the strip till <laughs> had better yield, but every year there was more income. Mm. You know, these were in the days of. 250 corn you were kind of tickled sure so when you're looking we're going to have some tough times here now too Mm -hmm. when you're looking at your inputs they definitely add up and if you can reduce your costs then and not lose many bushels if any Mm -hmm. we're kind of convinced we're gaining bushels sure um, then this strip till really works nice for the long-term soil health, it, it really is good. Right. You know, this was just a gorgeous fall. We had no rain. But in the years when it's wet, we, we're always noticing we can get back in the field right away, and it'll carry the machines. And we don't even have mud on our tires because the water is able to infiltrate. Mm-hmm. And also, we have, we have soil structure. When the soil does get wet, it still will carry these heavy combines and grain carts. Sure. You know, we now have a grain cart. I was a little concerned when we bought that, that it might pack the soil, but we haven't seen anything. I think what's happening is taking the weight off the combine and putting it on another axle, so it just hasn't been a bad thing to have a grain cart. It speeds everything else up. Sure. Well, you mentioned kind of the comparison you guys had done, the three-year comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit more about how you structured that. You know, what your comparison were and kind of some of the lessons you learned or things you learned, you know, you mentioned. You know, Jeff Fetch was from Wasika was the mm-hmm. guy that helped me on several of those. He wasn't on the first one. That one we thought, oh, boy, we're going to really save on fertilizer here so we can cut back on fertilizer. Well, that's not the case. Still got to have the fertilizer, especially the nitrogen. Mm-hmm. So on that year, you know, the yield was less, mm-hmm. but boy, not by much. It still made more dollars per acre, mm-hmm. even though we cut back the fertilizer. So we penalized that experiment kind of twice. But then Jeff Fetch got involved with me, and um, we were able to reduce the variables. Just look at tillage, mm-hmm. and it worked better. But I guess that was one of the lessons I learned. You, you can't shave the fertilizer, the nitrogen. P and K, maybe a little, mm-hmm. but it still it takes fertilizer to grow a crop. Sure, sure. So was this uh, was this for corn? That you guys it was doing? corn. Okay. We we have not done any strip till on soybeans. Okay. Uh, I know university has done some tests, but 
their results have been it doesn't do any good. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we haven't even attempted to, to test that ourselves. Okay. Just take their word on it. How, how big of a comparison was this? I mean, how many acres oh, were you kind of see. doing? You know, it was, it was adequate. It was strips of probably 24-row strips. Okay. And we would harvest the center eight and replicated four times at okay. least. Probably had strip till, no till, pure no till, mm -hmm. and chisel plowing. Okay. So those three treatments that I remember. Okay. Kind of the same area. You know, yeah, like it, and tried to do random replication. Sure. Set that part up good. But okay. <laughs> that big thing was keep the nitrogen the same. So. Sure. Sure. Gotcha. So all treatments were equal. So was this a fall strip till? Then? Yep. Okay. We always do fall strip till. Okay. I uh, haven't even thought about doing spring strip till. It just. Mm -hmm. We need all winter for that strip to mellow out. We can go look at these strips too. You'll see it. it's a little bit chunky. Yeah, I noticed it's one that's, look like it. one that's even more chunky. But by spring, it just it just you know we've got trash residue managers mm -hmm. on the corn planter, yep. which is the only thing you need for doing strip till with the corn planter. Mm. And when it, those residue managers hit that clod of soil, it just leaves this beautiful smooth seed bed. Sure. And we can watch our own units, and they're just riding nice and smooth back mm -hmm. there. Seed placement is accurate for depth, mm -hmm. and that seems to make a big difference. How, how deep okay. do you guys typically plant? Uh, two inches. Two inches, okay. Do you guys have anything on the on the planter precision-wise? Do you guys use, like, downforce or...? We do have pneumatic downforce, uh, down pressure, but it's not the fancy stuff. Oh, sure. It, it's just an airbag instead of springs. Okay. And I, I guess I like those. Mm -hmm. It seems to be worth the extra dollars. Okay. Um, what kind of planter do you guys have? It's a John Deere 24-year-old. So it matches the strip tiller. Okay. Um, I, I think that's pretty important. You wouldn't want to put a 16-row on a... 24-row strip tiller because right. the come-between rows are always off just a little bit. Even with the RTK guidance that the strip tiller tractor has, mm -hmm. it, it still varies a little bit. Gotcha. Kind of getting back to kind of the trials that you guys had done. Yeah. So it started out with no guidance of any kind. Really? Okay. We were just using markers, and um, you can't steer that well. <laughs> right. <laughs> we got them straight enough, and so we actually got I think we did that for 10 years. And then the, the Country Pride Co-op got the strip tiller, and they had guidance right away. Mm. So as soon as they got guidance, we could more easily drive our corn planter on it without guidance. Right. But now we've sure. got guidance, too, and so it's the combination works very well. So you guys just have, like, the, the deer uh, green star? We've got the RTK also from, okay. from John Deere. Gotcha. But they have Ag Leader. Oh, okay, sure. Well, you mentioned kind of seeing some some positives, you know, and, and I'm guessing that's kind of when you guys were, were still strip-tilling on your own, correct? Like you mm -hmm. weren't having... Yeah, during the test, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you can recall kind of what some of the, you know, differences... I don't know if you got any examples or specifics of what you guys saw out <coughs> of that, you know, that strip-till kind of showed, you know, whether it was a specific... Well, we just saw the huge labor saving. Sure. Okay. Because we're not chisel plowing in the fall. Mm -hmm. We're not digging in the spring. We're just going out there and planting. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of putting the fertilizer in the ground instead of sprinkling on top. It blows off. It rains off. Now we're placing it for the roots of the right. corn. And I like that idea. Sure. It seems like agronomically it should be 
superior. Right, right, absolutely. What I have seen the manufacturers do, though, the, the equipment is much better now. Mm. Um, the one we built was, the row unit was just kind of a spring, and it really didn't maintain good depth. Mm. Um, so now what the all the manufacturers that I've seen have developed are good stiff shanks that stay where you put them and create nicer little strip, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a mound that uh, it makes it easier to follow and plant and mm -hmm. improvement that way. What, what do you see is, I mean, because you, you've been involved in strip till now for 20 years, mm -hmm. what, what have you seen that, that manufacturers are kind of getting right with a strip till rig? What do you think are some of the, you know, the, the pluses or things that they've kind of... I, I suppose they've figured out how much stress it's on each row unit so they know how heavy to manufacture them, how to uh, get the parts right, mm -hmm. the strength that's required. Because when you first pull into a field that perhaps hasn't been no-tilled, it's going to be firm. Mm -hmm. And it, actually, it might even get a little bit firmer, but it seems like the firmness that we see is on those top two inches. Mm -hmm. But then below that, it, it's, um, it's softer. <laughs> the guy that does tiling for us, he's always praising our soil when he gets into it. He says he can shift up a gear. It just <laughs> it pulls easier for him. So, And that's what we're concerned about is that structure that's down deeper, too. Mm -hmm. We don't have a plow pan. And so we don't need to pull a V-ripper to try to break that up. Right. What, what kind of soil do you, do you have out here? Oh, boy, what are the names? Delft is one of them. Sure. Silty clay loams yeah, is kind yeah. of general. Yeah, it was interesting driving around yesterday. We kind of got to parts of the area where you could see a little bit sandier soil. Oh, yeah. Most everything was By just, Wilmer? Yeah, was, okay. was just really, you know, nice That is black interesting and, country up there. Yeah, yeah. Very diverse. <laughs> yes, yeah. But it was funny because most, most everybody up there, and I was talking with the guy I was riding around with, pretty much everybody's conventional till up there. I mean, there's, yeah. I don't think you saw any no-till or strip-till field. He's like, it's, it's all, sad. yeah, he's like, it's all black. You know, these guys just saw the hell out of it. So. Part of their excuse is the, the beet production and the vegetable production. Sure. Like, oh, man, you can figure something out here. Right, you know? right. Right. Even I would say even if you're going to no-till just one year in your rotation, it's going to help you a little bit. Mm -hmm. It takes, I would guess, it's about five years for the soil to kind of change, and you get enough roots in there and worms. Mm -hmm. The worms are incredible. Mm -hmm. They're doing a lot of earth moving for us and mm -hmm. turning that soil. When we plant the uh, corn in the spring, when well, you can see how much residue is out here. By the middle of the summer in July, it's bare between the rows. Mm -hmm. Those worms pull everything down. Sure. And worms like to, they need to pull it down themselves, lie in their tunnel. You can't bury it for them, like with a one-board plow. Right. That just, well, one thing, iron kills a worm. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's the way they live. They need to uh, have that residue on the surface and pull it down. Mm-hmm. Have you guys quantified your, your soil improvement at all? I mean, whether, you know, organic matter or just taking any... Right. We we didn't have any benchmarks when we started, so I don't know. But sure. It looks like as we continue to do soil tests, we always have decent organic matter. But I think up here in Minnesota, I heard another speaker talk about this, that we have farmed intensively probably 50 years less than down in Illinois. Mm. So we were 
native prairie longer than they were. <laughs> sure, sure. So we we we've, we're starting with better soil to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard one guy say that we've probably got some of the best soil in the world right around here in Minnesota, but our growing season's too short. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to, again, recognize Novotel for supporting this podcast. Novotel's GNSS receivers and antennas are found in the data collection, control, guidance, and steering systems of the world's top precision egg companies and vehicle manufacturers' products. As the global leader in OEM precision positioning technology, their customers rely on reliable, quality solutions that optimize growers' productivity and efficiency that also save time and lower input costs. Visit www.novatel.com or call them today at 1-800-668-2835. Reflecting on Tom's comments so far, he emphasized the importance of letting worms do the work turning soil rather than doing it mechanically. He shared a story about one of his strip-tilled fields which would be virtually residue-free between the rows by midsummer because his high population of earthworms would have accelerated the decomposition of remaining stalks. Tom acknowledged that he's blessed with some of the better growing conditions in Minnesota, especially to make strip-till successful, but Making sure earthworms are fed is a critical element to sustaining the productivity of those soils. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Tom Muller on his strip-till fertilization strategies and having an economical eye for adjusting application rates. Looking at, at it then from the uh, fertility standpoint, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you obviously get that fertilizer placed. Um, so when they're coming and, and you know, building your, your strips in the fall, uh, what, what are you having put down with the, the strip-till unit? Oh, we're doing N, P, and K. Okay. A um, little bit of zinc, a little bit of sulfur, depending on the soil test. What we have done now, we're kind of reducing the amount of nitrogen mm -hmm. and then applying some in the spring, which is sort of best management practice. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what are you guys typically putting down, uh, kind of amounts? And About 100 pounds of N in the fall. What uh, what product is it? Oh, nitrogen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, oh, oh uh, anhydrous. Okay, anhydrous. anhydrous, okay. And now we're going to use, we're, this year we're using the stabilizers. I can't even tell you the names of them. Sure. Um, that's something new that I think the market has responded to that. They've seen that farmers are being more cautious with their nitrogen because it costs a lot. Mm -hmm. So now let's try to protect it when it's in the soil. And I like that idea. Is that something you guys just started using? or? Yeah, because we've, we've requested it in the past, but it really, the economics didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. It was a mess. It, it was difficult to get it uh, mixed in properly. So I think there's been some improvements in those nitrogen stabilizers. And you mentioned, you know, a little bit of the benefit board. What's your kind of goal with that is is to, you know, kind of preserve that nitrogen a little bit. Oh, yeah, keep it for the crop yeah. and letting it go down to the tile or the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Gotcha. Okay. And then for your uh, for your P&K, what, uh, what are you using there? And, um, amounts, yeah. yeah. I follow pretty closely the University of Minnesota recommendations. So. Okay. At ballpark, I say fifty pounds, and 
50 to 60 pounds on both of those. Okay. We said typically, you know, 50 to 60 pounds of each is yeah. okay. And that's all being applied through the strip-till unit, correct? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, how deep are you placing your fertilizer? Oh, I think we'll see out here it's about four inches deep. Okay. The guy could maybe go deeper. Eight inches would be okay. Hmm. I think it was maybe pulling a little bit hard this year. Sure. And that's banded? Yes. In the strip. Okay. Yeah. How uh, typically, how, how deep are you going with your, your strips themselves? Oh, well, okay. I would guess that the fertilizer is almost as deep as the strip. Oh, okay, so, so four inches. Yeah, because the, the knife or the, the air hose is right at the bottom okay. gotcha. the, uh, of the knife. And width, maybe eight, eight inches or so? They're probably eight. Yeah. About eight inches, okay. And it's a shank machine? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, not, no discs. The oh. discs might work, but um, corn likes tillage, mm-hmm. so we right. give it... The least that we can. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. It, it just, it, you know, guys try doing corn on corn, and boy, they need it black. Right. We've seen that. So are you guys doing primarily corn after soybeans? Yeah, we uh, don't even, we haven't even tried corn on corn. Okay. Um, it might work, but we like the bean rotation. Okay. And you guys are no-tilling your soybeans? Yes. So we have been feeding the soybeans a little bit hmm. with uh, some P and K. Okay. I can't tell you any amounts there, but we just kind of by university recommendations. Well, then you mentioned uh, you'll you'll come back and then apply some nitrogen in spring. Oh, in the, the spring, planter. yeah, we put on thirty-two um, percent with the herbicide. Okay. And so we'll put on it's it gets about sixty pounds. See, thirty-two percent, of course, comes in gallons, but it, it's sixty pounds of actual M. Okay. Whatever the gallonage is, it'd be about 20 gallons, I think. Gotcha. And is that with the planter? No, that's uh, broadcast oh, okay. with herbicide. Oh, yeah. That's right, right behind the planter. Gotcha. So, are you guys putting anything on with the planter? A little bit of pop up fertilizer. Okay. Five gallons of 8, 20, and 8. Okay. Is that uh, in furrow, two by two? In furrow. So, so I guess, you know, kind of big picture then, what are you guys kind of liking about your fertility program with, with strip-till? I mean, what are you seeing as some of the benefits? You mentioned trying to maybe play with rates a little bit or, you know, trying to see some efficiencies there. Well, I guess I already said I like the idea of putting the fertilizer where the corn roots are. Mm-hmm. When things do get tight uh, and there's not a lot of income to play with anymore, if we shave back our P and K rates, we're okay. It We'll still get a crop, mm-hmm. whereas if you cut back on your broadcast program, if that's all you have, it, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, sure. It, it just seems like a sustainable program because the soil seems to get healthier the longer we go, mm-hmm. um, and we get we can see these earthworms working out there. And our yields are steady. We maybe don't always get the real big yields but we get good yields every mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. that's what the banker likes <laughs> that's right that's right um so if, if you guys you mentioned you know going forward there you know might be that opportunity or necessity if you have to kind of cut back a little bit on on your application but have you guys noticed any savings or efficiencies you know and since you guys have started you know with with kind of your fertility program i mean anything you've changed or kind of rates you've maybe adjusted to say okay well we can maybe cut application here by 20% or something, and oh. then we're seeing that. So, you know, anything like that that you can... I, not big picture. No. Okay, okay. We, we try to, you know, 
if we have to, we'll cut back, but we'd rather not. We'd okay. like to keep it, keep our fertility sure, and sure. our fertilizer program up pretty high. Mm -hmm. and try to continue improving yields with fertilizer. Sure. But we all we all realize too that this is Minnesota, and <laughs> we can throw as much fertilizer on as we want, and it's not always going to pay. Sure, sure. So I guess just good maintenance is what we're able to do. Gotcha. And our soil stays in place. Mm -hmm. That's where the fertilizer is. Right, right. Gotcha. Are you guys doing any type of variable rating yet? Anything no, like that? No, no, not yet. Okay. So kind of, kind of that big picture. Then, I mean, what you know, are you seeing maybe as, as some of the biggest benefits? You can kind of quantify anything with you know, strip till is giving you traditionally X number of bushels over what you guys had been doing or how you've seen these increases or efficiencies, you know, if you can well, put your it, finger on anything. it's the efficiency thing that um, to farm 2,600 acres, we've only got two large tractors. Mm, okay. And they're not even large by today's standard. So sure. it, it's the equipment that we don't own that's, <laughs> that's really good. We don't have a moldboard plow. We don't have a disc ripper. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the 500 horsepower tractor to pull it. In the fall, the only tractor we operate is the one that pulls the grain cart. Mm. And that tractor also pulls the corn planter and the sprayer. Sure, so, sure. The other tractor, um, we still have a, a field cultivator that it pulls out occasionally. But, mm -hmm. um, its main job is planting the soybeans with a no-till drill. Sure. I guess one thing we've gone to a little bit more that seems to work is no-tilling the beans with the corn planter. Mm. We do have a no-till drill also. No-tilling beans with a corn planter seems to work just fine. <laughs> we were kind of afraid of that at first because we were told, oh, you got to have down pressure, you got to have narrow rows. Well, we did need narrow rows then because we didn't have the herbicides, mm -hmm. there, especially Roundup. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, had we not been afraid of it, we could have done 30-inch rows when we started no-tilling. Mm -hmm. It would have worked fine. There were enough herbicides we could control the weeds. Sure. We, um, it looks like we don't have as much soybean cyst nematode because we're not doing tillage and dragging around those eggs and moving the, what I've heard the speakers say is that there'll be hot spots in the field. Mm -hmm. Then you pull your implement, your tillage implement through there and it spreads it out. Sure. So now the whole field gets infected and we don't do that. Sure. Have, have you guys said... Uh kind of had challenges with with insects or anything like that or I mean, you know the aphids are here but sure i ever that we're not immune to those sure um, sure the soybean cyst was really bad and there were guys that had to quit growing soybeans they just they were not yielding anymore hmm. I suppose you know, we need drainage <laughs> and <laughs> sure. every system man uh, tillage system does but it, it seems to really pay benefits when you sure do it with no-till and strip-till. Sure. So, I mean, um, kind of going in then, uh, strip-tilling into that soybean field after mm -hmm. afterwards, uh, it sounds like you're you're seeing, you know, positive in that by not doing full-width tillage, you're reducing the, the likelihood that you're going to spread those, those cysts. cysts yeah. Yeah. So, by just doing those narrow strips, mm -hmm. you're not spreading them out. So, that's, is that yeah. kind of what you're yeah. getting at? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So kind of reducing the potential for that problem. Yeah, we probably still have hot spots, but they stay small. Sure, sure. They, they don't spread, and then I think the the soybean breeders are working pretty hard to get the resistant soybeans. Right, right. Yeah, but in the meantime, strip till and no till are nice. It, it uh, has helped us. Yeah, yeah. It's been, we've been able to grow soybeans, and 
other guys can't. I think the big thing though, the price of tractors. We're, we've got two tractors out here that are, well, one of them would be probably a $100,000 tractor and mm -hmm. the other's $80,000. Sure. And they work fine and they don't have many hours on them. That's the big thing, the reduced hours. Yeah. And the diesel fuel, you know, we're, we farm 2,600 acres with a, uh, 2,000 gallons of diesel fuel storage. Hmm. And we can make it through a season with that much. So, you know, basically refill once a year. Thank you, Tom, for sharing your history and experience with making strip-till a long-term success on your farming operation. And again, we'd like to recognize and thank Novatel for supporting this Strip-Till Farmer podcast. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And for those listeners who would like to read more about Tom Muller's Strip-Till operation, you can visit www.striptillfarmer.com. And if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. And keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmer, that's F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on August 3rd for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series. And be sure to visit striptillconference.com for updates on our national strip tillage conference coming up in just two weeks on August 3rd and 4th in Omaha, Nebraska. For Tom Muller, Novatel, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Samlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>